chapter 21, Matthew chapter 21, I'll be reading verses 42 and 44, a message I've entitled The Rock, The Rock, or you might like The Stone, uh, either way, The Rock or The Stone, uh, it's fine with me, uh, whichever we want to call it, but anyway, it's Matthew 21, beginning in verse 42, please remain seated, remain seated since you just sat down uh, as I read, give the children a second to, to get out of here, and also give the preacher a second to find what I told you to go looking for, here we go. Matthew 21, beginning in verse 42. Jesus said unto them, Did you never read in the scriptures, The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Verse 44, And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. So looking at the rock this morning, looking at the stone, uh, there was a man who passed away, and he left $30,000 in his will for his funeral, $5,000 for the flowers, $10,000 for the casket, and $15,000 for a stone. Well, his widow spent the money as requested. But one day, her friend noticed a large three-carat diamond ring on her finger and asked where she got it. The widow replied, my husband left money in his will for flowers, a casket, and a stone. I bought the flowers, the casket, and here's the stone. That's an old jeweler's joke. We had a jeweler with us in early service, and he didn't even crack a smile because he's heard it like a thousand times. Well, let's look this morning at the rock. Let's look at the rock or the stone. First of all, by way of introduction, Jesus has just told the parable of the vineyard. This begins in verse 33 and goes through verse 39, the parable of the vineyard. And let me just give you a thumbnail what it is. A man planted a vineyard. Then he left farmers to tend the vineyard while he went far away. He later sent servants to collect the fruit from the vineyard. Well, when he sent those servants, the farmers beat and killed the servants. So the man finally sends his son, whom they also killed. Now, the interpretation of this parable is pretty standard. God the Father is the man who planted the vineyard, and he goes far away to heaven. The vineyard is the nation of Israel, and the farmers are the religious leaders of Israel. The servants are the prophets whom Israel ignored and whom Israel killed. Jesus talked about that in Matthew 23, 37. He says, O Jerusalem, you that kill the prophets and stone those who are sent unto you, how often would I have gathered your children together even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, but you would not. And of course the son, remember that, that owner finally sends his son thinking, well, they will respect my son. Well, the son is Jesus whom they killed by crucifixion. So keep in mind, Jesus has just told this parable about the vineyard, and now he gets to the text that I read beginning in verse 42, where we look at the quotation. Jesus quotes in verse 42, Psalm 118, verses 22 and 23. That's what he's quoting here, Psalm 118, verses 22 and 23. Now when the Jews heard this passage, uh, not even before Jesus, but when they heard this passage, they thought that the stone that was rejected referred maybe to Abraham. Or the stone that was rejected maybe referred to David. Or maybe even the stone that was rejected referred to the Messiah. But Jesus goes on to interpret this passion, passage to refer to himself. He says, I am the stone that the builders rejected. The builders are the Jewish people. Jesus is the rejected stone and Messiah. And in fact, the New, the New Testament writers would agree with Jesus. Whether you're looking in Acts 4.11 or Romans 9.32 and 33 or 1 Peter 2 verses 4 through 8, they all quote, the stone which the builders rejected is none other than Jesus himself. So Jesus quotes here, Psalm 118, 
verses 22 and 23. But Psalm 118, and I want to invite you to turn there with me, Psalm 118, because Psalm 118 has a lot of very important and very interesting verses contained within it. For instance, verse 1, uh, you've probably heard this before, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, because his mercy endureth forever. That's not the only place that's found, but that's one of the places. And then how about verse 14? The Lord is my strength and song and has become my salvation. Or how about verse 24? I know you've heard this one. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And how about verses 25 and 26? If you've ever been to a Palm Sunday service, you've probably heard about this. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. This is what the people were shouting when Jesus rode in on the donkey. They were shouting, Hosanna, which is save now. Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. But look back to verse 8. This is the one I really want to focus on this morning. Verse 8 says, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Now something you may not know, and all those verses are important, but verse 8 is actually the middle verse of the entire Bible. If you ever wondered what is the middle verse of all the Bible, it is Psalm 118 and verse 8. Let me show you a little bit of math here. A math teachers like Kristen will enjoy this. There are 594 chapters before Psalm 18. There are 594 chapters after Psalm 118. When you add the two together, you get 1,188. And if you just put a colon between the two eights, you get 118 colon 8. Well, what is that? Psalm 118 and verse 8 is the center of the Bible. And it contains the center message of the Bible, which is what? It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. That's what the Bible is all about. And as we will see, Jesus here is setting up a choice to trust either God or to trust man. Based on the center verse of the Bible. Anybody say, well, Brother Gary, I happen to know a little bit of history about the Bible. And back when Jesus said this, first of all, the Bible wasn't complete. And secondly, uh, they didn't have chapters and verses till much, much, much later. Yeah, but Jesus knew what the Bible would be. He knew that it would be complete. He knew about the chapters and the verses. And so he chose Psalm 118 particularly so that we would focus on the center verse of the Bible. It is better to put the trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. And that's here he is setting up this choice. Are you going to trust God or are you going to trust man? So first of all, let's look at the definition. What is a rock? Again, Jesus says here, the stone which the builders rejected. What is a rock? What is a stone? Well, it is permanent. A rock is strong. A rock is unchanging. Now, if you've ever read through the Old Testament, you know that God is referred to as the rock in the Old Testament. He's referred to the rock of salvation. He's referred to the rock of refuge. But then when you flip over to the New Testament, you find out Jesus is also referred to as a rock. In fact, 1 Corinthians 10, the first four verses, says that Jesus was with Israel in the wilderness as a rock. Or how about the parable of the wise and foolish men in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. Jesus said there were two men. One built his house on the sand, and the other built his house on the rock. Well, the guy that built his house on the sand, when the floods came, it wiped out. But the one who built his house on the rock, it stood firm. A lot of our children even know a song about that. Some of you adults probably remember singing it when you were little too. And what is the point? Jesus says that he is the rock upon which that smart man or that wise man built his house. And then what about Peter's confession in Matthew 16 and verse 18? 
Jesus is asking his disciples, he said, whom do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Some say you're Elijah. And Jesus said, but whom do you say that I am? And Peter steps forward. He says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, your name is Peter, which means rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. Now, was Jesus building his church on Peter, whose name means rock? Jesus will build his church on Peter's confession of faith that Jesus is the rock. That Peter would put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, that's the rock, and I'm going to build my church on that. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ still today, even now, is built on that confession of faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so both the God of the Old Testament is known as a rock. And Jesus in the New Testament is known as a rock. Now, does that confuse us? That you got God in the Old Testament, he's the rock, but we say Jesus is God in the New Testament, he's the rock. What gives? They're one and the same. Jesus is God. And so it makes sense that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament would be the same. They are both the rock. The rock. But when it comes to people, remember I told you Jesus is setting up this choice here between trusting God or trusting man. When it comes to people, people are not stones. People are not rocks. Dwayne Johnson accepted. All right? The Bible says people are a vapor. People are a vapor. Look here in James 4.14. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. So people are not stones. People are not rocks. People are a vapor. So, will you put your trust in man? Or will you put your trust in God? Will you put your trust in the rock? Or would you, will you put your trust in a vapor? And so we see the definition now. But secondly, I want us to look at the rejection. We know that the builders rejected Jesus as their Messiah. Look back to our text, verse 42. Did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. And so the builders rejected Jesus as their Messiah. Who were the builders? They were the Jews as a whole, as represented by these leaders with whom Jesus was interacting. Jesus was not their kind of Messiah. He just wasn't their kind of Messiah. He wasn't the kind of Messiah for which they were looking. Now, he will be, but at this time, he wasn't. Why? Well, first of all, he was poor. Who wants to follow a poor Messiah? These people were all poor themselves. Why would they want to follow somebody who's just as poor as they are? But he's not poor anymore, is he? He's rich. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's living in heavenly riches now. But back then, he was poor. Like, we don't want a poor Messiah. Secondly, he bucked the religious system. They expected their Messiah to come up and, and really fix the religious system, but he bucked the religious system. But we all know what he actually did. He completely fulfilled it. Thirdly, Jesus was not militaristic. That's what these people were looking for. They wanted a Messiah to come in and conquer Rome and set up his kingdom. But that's not what Jesus did then. But he will do it. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords. He's coming back to do battle. He's coming back to win the war. And he will be victorious. But then, he wasn't. A fourth reason they rejected Jesus as their Messiah was that he claimed to be God's son. He claimed to be God in the flesh, like in John 5, 18 and John 10, 33. 
And these people said, no, you're a person. You're a human being. There's no way you can be God. We reject you outright. And then perhaps the one that sealed the deal for their rejection was that Jesus died. Now, the Jews never expected their Messiah to die. How can your leader, especially one that claims to be God, how can he die? And they knew the verse in Deuteronomy just as well as anybody else did. Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. They said, this is not our Messiah. This guy is cursed of God. And so they rejected him. Well, let's not be too hard on these folks because people still reject Jesus today. They still reject him today. Some of you in this very room, you may still be rejecting Jesus today. And for what reason? Well, number one, Jesus makes high demands on his followers. He says, if you follow after me, I'm expecting certain things from you. A lot of times people think that means you can't have any fun. If you follow Jesus, you can't have any fun. Billy Joel made a lot of song, a lot of money singing the song, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. And people get this idea that if you are a, a Christian, if you follow Christ, you can't have any fun. Well, as Andy alluded to, we Christians had a lot of fun this past week. Had a lot of fun at Vacation Bible School. Teaching kids about Jesus, yes, but having fun all along the way. And that's not the only time we have fun. We have lots of fun in lots of different ways, but we always have our fun within the confines that God has given us. But some people think, well, I'm not going to follow Jesus. I reject him because I can't have any fun. Or they'll say, you know, if I follow Jesus, I can't have any vice. Now, we all have to have a vice, don't we? No, we don't. But we think so. We think we must have a vice. And if you follow Jesus, you can't have a vice. Maybe people don't want to follow Jesus because to follow him requires complete humility. We must totally divorce self from the throne of our heart and make Jesus put him on the throne. People say, I don't want to do that. I don't want to humble myself before anybody. They don't like the fact that the individual is no longer boss. When you follow Jesus, he's the boss. Not you anymore, not somebody else. He's the boss. Or maybe just like those folks back in Jesus' day, Jesus didn't or doesn't fit our expectations. Uh, we thought a Savior, we thought a Messiah would be somebody different, something different. It's not quite, he's not quite what I expected. And perhaps people reject Jesus today because it's just too hard to believe. I have a family member that doesn't go to church. I have a lot of family members that doesn't go to church, just like you do. Uh, but I had a family member that doesn't go to church, but he came to church with me one Sunday. And it was a good service, uh, good music, and uh, a good sermon, and I wasn't preaching. But anyway, it was, it, was a good, you know, it was a good church service. It felt really good when it was over. And so I asked him when it was all over. We were in the car together, and I said, so what do you think about all that? He said, it's just too hard for me to believe. He said, I just can't believe it. Why? Well, maybe to some it sounds like a fairy tale. You got this guy who's actually God, but he's a human, and then he dies, but then he comes back from the dead, and then he floats up into heaven, and then he's coming back riding a horse with a sword. It sounds like a fairy tale to some. Others would say, you know, that stuff that you believe, it's just not scientific. It's just not provable. And I've got to have science. Now, they'll fully accept evolution, which can't be proven either, but they will say, I've got to have science. I've got to have something that can be proven. So for whatever the reason, the Jews rejected Jesus as their Messiah. And that rejection continues today. But I want you to know that that stone has not been rejected by all. 
Not everyone has rejected the stone. First of all, God himself did not reject the stone. In fact, he made Jesus the head of the corner. Let's go back to the text. Have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner? God himself made Jesus the head of the corner. Jesus is not just any stone. He is the chief cornerstone. And that comes right out of not only the Old Testament, but the New Testament, like Isaiah 28, 16. It says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. And then Paul picks up on that in the New Testament, Ephesians 2.20. He says, And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. I want you to know the cornerstone, particularly in the Greek in this Ephesians passage, can either refer to the foundation stone or the capstone. And so we don't know exactly whether Paul is saying he's the, he's the foundation down here or he's the final piece, the, the top. We're not sure, and that's okay. You know why? It doesn't matter because Jesus Christ is first and Jesus Christ is last. Jesus Christ is the foundation. Jesus Christ is the head. So it doesn't matter whether you call him the stone down here or the stone up here. He's both and everything in between. God himself did not reject Jesus as the stone. In fact, God determined before creation to have Jesus be the cornerstone, the capstone. But even when he did that, God knew that his Messiah, his stone, would be rejected. Look here in Isaiah 53, very familiar passage, starting in verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. But notice how it starts. He's despised and rejected of men. God knew. His son Jesus, the Messiah, would be rejected. So the stone, though, has not been rejected by all, not rejected by God himself, and not rejected by those who find Jesus marvelous. Look back to verse 42. It says, this is the Lord's doing and is marvelous in our eyes. So not only did God himself not reject Jesus as a stone, but those who find Jesus marvelous, we did not reject the stone. Who are those who find Jesus marvelous? Believers. Folks who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But what is so marvelous to us about this whole thing? Well, first of all, that God would allow himself to be rejected by his creation. I just can't even imagine that, that God himself, the creator of all, would allow himself to be rejected by his creation. That is amazing to me. Not only that, but that God himself would choose to suffer and die for us, to suffer and die for me. Why would the God of creation, the God of the universe, why would he die for me? That is marvelous. That is amazing to me. And thirdly, it is marvelous to realize that people reject him. When God creates you and loves you and provides for you, how could you reject him? How could you say, no thanks, I don't believe in you? How is that even possible? That to me is amazing. 
And this, so the stone was rejected by Jews of old. The stone is rejected by people still today, but the stone has not been rejected by God himself, and it's not been rejected by those who find Jesus marvelous. God the Father chose Jesus as the Messiah. Will you follow man's choice? Or will you follow God's choice? Remember, I told you, Jesus here using Psalm 18, he's setting up a decision. You're going to follow God or you're going to follow man? Well, God the Father chose Jesus as a Messiah. Will you follow man's choice or God's choice? Will you put your confidence in man? Or will you put your confidence in God? So we looked at the definition. We looked at rejection. Lastly, I want to look at decision. What will you do with the stone? This is what really matters. What will you do with the stone? And notice Jesus gives us two choices. Look in verse 44 again. Whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. So what are you going to do with the stone? You get two choices. You can fall on the stone, or you can let the stone fall on you. If you fall on the stone, you will be broken. What does that mean? We are to humbly cast ourselves at the feet of Jesus, the stone, begging for his mercy, confessing to him our sinfulness, confessing to him our worthlessness, Confessing to him our absolute dependence on him. We fall on Jesus, the stone, and we are broken. And that's a good thing because God seeks a broken heart. Look at Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to them that are such of a broken heart and save such as be of a contrite spirit. And here's what's really neat. When you fall on the stone and you're broken before him, those who fall on him become stones themselves. Look at 1 Peter beginning in uh, verse ch chapter 2. To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, you also as living stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So when you fall on the stone and you're broken, he makes you a stone. And out of you and I, he builds his spiritual house where we offer spiritual sacrifice. So choice number one, you can fall on the stone humbly and be broken. Or you can let the stone fall on you and be ground to powder. Now I told you earlier we'd see a picture of Scott Noopsum, and I want to show you what it might be like to get crushed by a big stone. There's Scott. There's a whole context this picture. I'm not going to share with you, but there's a whole context. But this is the idea. He's not falling on that stone. That stone's falling on him. All right? What does that mean? The stone can fall on you and grind you to powder. What Jesus is saying is judgment day is coming. Judgment day is coming. And when Christ the rock falls, it will be devastating. This is not temporary discipline. This is absolute destruction. This is not annihilism. This is eternal hell, what Jesus is talking about. And what about powder? It says here, if it falls on you, you'll be ground to powder. Well, powder indicates that every speck of their being will be affected. Because sin has affected every speck of our being, and every bit of sin must be paid. Let me say that again. Powder indicates that every speck of their being will be affected. Every unbeliever, every speck of their being will be affected because sin has affected every speck of their being and every bit of sin must be paid. 
And so when Jesus says you'll be ground to powder, he doesn't expect us to take that literally. He wants us to understand judgment day is coming. Eternal hell is to be faced. But the good news is nobody has to go to hell. Nobody has to spend eternity in hell. Nobody has to be ground to powder if you just receive Jesus Christ as your Savior now. Believe that he died on the cross to pay for your sins, that he was buried for your sins, and he rose again the third day. You believe in Jesus, you receive him as your Savior, you will never go to hell. You will immediately upon your last breath, your last heartbeat, you will go to heaven where you will spend eternity with him. But some of you might still be in this room saying, eh, I reject that. Sounds like a fairy tale. Can't be proven. I need scientific formula. I need more. No, you need faith. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. But with faith, you come into friendship with God, and it is an eternal relationship of friendship that sees well beyond this life into all of eternity. And so this morning, as we looked at the stone, the rock, we saw, first of all, the quotation. Jesus quotes Psalm 118. And he's really setting us up because he knew where the middle of the Bible would be one day, where it is today. And he's setting up a, a, a distinction between are you going to trust God or are you going to trust man? So we look at a stone. We see what a definition of a stone is. People aren't stones. People are a vapor. You going to trust the stone, Jesus? Or are you going to trust what your friends and your family are telling you because they're just a vapor? Secondly, we looked at the rejection. The Jews rejected Jesus as their Messiah. People still today reject Jesus as a Messiah for a whole host of reasons. So are you going to follow man's choice? You're going to follow God's choice because God the Father chose His Son Jesus to be the stone. Who are you going to trust? Who are you going to follow? And then lastly, the decision. I asked you, what will you do with the stone? You can fall on that stone and be broken. Humble yourself before the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Or just wait and let the stone fall on you. And there's literally hell to pay forever. Don't let the stone fall on you. Receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Fall on the stone today. Fall on the stone now, humbly, and be saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ.